Hi, I'm Lisa of Two Sober Chicks, and welcome to our speaker series edition. This podcast brings you AA speakers from a Solution Seekers Beginners meeting. And today, our speaker is Stacy C. from Primetime Toronto. Thank you, Lisa and Jackie, everyone. Good morning. I'm an alcoholic named Stacy Cook, and it is so um, wonderful to be here this morning. I want to thank everyone who, who did service to allow this meeting to happen. And of course, Lisa, for asking me to, to come, come share. So y'all can probably already tell that I don't live in Toronto by, by my accent, right? But um, I'm, in the, I'm next to Kimberly down here in uh, North Carolina. So right next to her in Virginia. And uh, just to clear that up really quick during uh, COVID, I sponsored I did sponsor a girl that uh, lived in Toronto and we wanted to um, we wanted to start a meeting that had the exact same format as um, meetings that we attended in California. And so we started the meeting. Gosh, I don't I'm not even sure two and a half years ago um, now. And um, and we started we just named it. uh, She lived in Toronto, so I wanted her to feel like it was her meeting. So. We, we named it Primetime Toronto. So, um, so that's been my, my group ever since. And uh, that's where I met Lisa. So, um, you know, it's so funny. I've never even, just like y'all, we all have this experience, right? There's so many people that we've never, ever met in person. And uh, Lisa is my, my soul sister. And um, I just love you, and um, you know what comes from the heart reaches the heart, right? And um, so we've been we've been uh, growing together here the, the last uh, I'm not even sure last year or two, and um, it's wonderful to have those connections. Um, if you're if you're brand new, I do want you to know that. Um, Lisa's um, someone that thinks that I could bring a message that would maybe help somebody, but there's really nothing uh, super special about me. I'm not a special speaker or I'm not an authority of of AA or or anything like that. I just have um, the desire to stay sober and I have the desire to to try to help help anyone that would will listen to me. (laughs) So my um my prayer um this morning is is pretty much the same prayer before I talk is God please help me be honest, please help me be humble, and please please uh if it's your will, let me help at least one person and that's um that's pretty much my my prayer every every time I talk is um some something similar to that so but um if you stay sober uh, long enough, you'll be talking one day too, <laughs> so that's just the way it works. And um, so I'm going to uh, share, you know, we, we have two different, two different ways that I've heard of that we share in uh, when we tell our story in AA. One we hear people say often is uh, we share a little bit of what we're like and what happened and what we're like today. And there's another, there's another take that I kind of, um, I kind of like a lot also, and it's it says in the personal stories and, and right there in the beginning, it says, when you read these personal stories, I think there's 43, I think, 
um, when you read them, the one thing that they'll all have in common is they'll all show you how they came to believe in a power greater than themselves. And that's what I hope to be able to, to talk a little bit about today. And that's important to me because I'm somebody that has spent most of my life agnostic. And I didn't want anybody to really know that. I was embarrassed. So agnostic, not to be confused with atheism. If you're atheist, you absolutely do not believe in God or any supreme being or any kind of power. Um, agnostic, ag, ag, and the gnostic literal translation is without knowledge. So I have no knowledge of, of a power in my life. And that's how I spent most of my life. And that's a really, a really dark, scary, sad place to, to be, <clears throat> especially if you're a seeker and you really want to believe in a, in a power. And I just didn't. I just couldn't get it. And I didn't understand. I was, I was like, that there's a part in the big book where it, it talks about if I could only believe as he believed. And that's how I always felt. Like if I could, if I could have your faith, yeah, everything would be fine. Of course it would. You know, <clears throat> if I only believed as this person believed. And I just spent forever like that. And it took me quite a while to realize that I, I continued to run around as the power for my life, that I was playing God that I was the one that was in the way of that the whole time. And I didn't know it. I didn't understand because, you you know, we hear things like, you know, go-getters and people who take initiative and um, that that's, that's normally a good thing, <laughs> you know, that's normally, you know, a, a good thing, but it's, um, it's not for someone like me because I have, Come to believe and find out that I'm actually, even though my motives are good, which most of the time they are, that I'm actually a complete failure at running my own life. And that's taken quite a while for me to get to that point. Um, so there's a, another reason I just want to say while I'm here is in the in the back of the, in the back of the big book. Hundred books right here, but a big book across, across the room. Um, in the back of the big book, in Appendix Four, it says the it talks about the Lasker Award, and we don't hear much about that. But this Lasker Award, this was given to Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and very much in um, with the assistance of Dr. Harry Tebow. And what this means is that. Um, this is a treatable illness. And before this, you know, even before the 50s, there was only a couple paragraphs ever even talked about in medical school about alcoholism. So now we know that this is this is an illness. It's not only an illness, it's a treatable illness. So none of us actually ever need to die an alcoholic death ever again, although many, many of us will. But um, but it is, I mean, it is, it's right there that this is treatable. We have a solution. We just have to be, you know, willing to, to do it. So, um, so just to share a little bit about um, me uh, growing up and quali qualifying a little bit, as we say. Um, so I was, I was raised in, well, I was adopted. I should start with that. So I was adopted, which was always probably the 
not probably, definitely the biggest deal of my whole entire life. And not knowing anything about, you know, where I came from or family or, or anything like that was um, very challenging for me. It, it's always been challenging for me. And I really felt sorry for myself a lot in my life, not knowing, you know, about my parents or do I have any siblings or anything like that. Um, I was adopted into a family who, of course, I call my mom and my dad. And um, the, I was adopted into a family that does not show emotion at all. Um, well, that's not that's not completely true. My father, much more than my mother. Um, but for the, the, the best the best analogy, I feel like, or example I can give is that my parents to this day, they've been married in June. It'll be 60 years in June. And to this, and they live 30 minutes from me. It's not, not far. Um, I have never, ever in my entire life seen my parents hug and kiss, ever. So that kind of, gives you an idea. I mean, there is no emotion. There's no talking about feelings. There's no, I love you. There's certainly never, never kisses ever like kisses on the cheek or, or anything like that. Um, we didn't talk about feelings. We didn't talk about, um, apologies or ask for forgiveness or how to process things, or there was none of that ever, ever happening in my house. So as a little child, the only thing that I really had uh, awareness of was anger. That that came up all the time and constant. And I um, I carried that on, you know, for quite a while. And I can remember, especially when I was a teenager, I can I was always looking for something to throw that wasn't going to break because I I was always throwing stuff. I was always hitting stuff. I had holes in walls. I mean, I was just kind of a wild child <laughs> and um I, I didn't know how to, to deal with my feelings or anything like that when I was you know five six seven years old I was stealing money and I don't know what I thought I was going to buy like 100 candy bars or something but I would steal it and hide it and then by the time I'm um nine ten eleven I'm stealing now the town drugstore and I was born and raised in North Carolina I'm stealing out of the drugstore I, it seemed like I intuitively knew. I don't remember anyone telling me. It seemed like I intuitively knew you go in, you buy something, you pay for something and you steal something. You just don't go rob them blind, you know? And, um, and I started to do that. And by the time I was 12, I stole my first car. And, you know, it's like, I, I tell people, I think I was just born with larceny. I just always added in my, in my system. And um, yeah, I carried that into, into AA too. We used to say where I got sober, if you have a dollar, give a dollar. If you need a dollar, take a dollar. And I thought one day, you know what? I actually need all these. I did have to make amends and pay all that back with interest, by the way. But um, I um, the, the, the moral of that story is we get we get sober. Uh, we, we still have a lot to deal with, right? They say you have a drunken horse thief. You get them sober, you got a sober horse thief, right? So that was that was my experience. I um I ended up finding King Alcohol when I was 12 years old. And um, you know, one other thing I'll just back up a little bit is that other than other than feeling uh like I was completely isolated and by myself and no one could relate and just all of this impending doom stuff as a child, 
Um, I was really, really concerned with the afterlife for some reason. I have no idea. I didn't come from a religious family, but I was very concerned about the afterlife when I was like seven and uh, what was going to happen. Where am I going? I don't know. And, um, and I was upset that I was even born. I just, I can't tell y'all how many times um, at night I would cry because I was, I was born, that I was here, that there's no undoing this, that I'm, that I'm in this life. And um, I used to have uh, fantasies uh, when I was young of burning my house down. Now I never did, <laughs> so don't worry. Never burned anything. Um, never, never anything. Never caught anything on fire. Um, but I had thoughts of it, all, you know, often. And I, I think I just wanted attention to be noticed. I wanted to be heard. Something I don't know. But um, I, I bring up all this stuff. Not everybody has um, this, the same story, but um, I bring all this stuff up because this was all going on before I even picked up a drink. You know, long before I picked up a drink, I was a very injured character um, from very, very young. And I'll tell you, there's a couple of things that we have in common. Now, I, I want to tell y'all that it took me uh, so long to hear my story in AA. Um, so long to really hear my story and when I did it was magic it was it was so magical that someone actually not only told my story but actually put words in my mouth the thoughts I couldn't come up with words for it was so amazing but not everybody has has the same story so I encourage you to to keep listening for yours but there'll be two things that we will have in common if we're a real alcoholic and one is that once we start to drink, we won't be able to stop, okay? We'll have a hard time stopping. And sometimes that looks kind of backwards as once we stop, we can't help from starting. <laughs> Either way, it's kind of the same thing, <laughs> okay? So, um, and then the other one is that once we do start to drink, that we most of the time cannot predict what's going to happen, how much we're going to drink. Maybe nothing bad happens at all and everything's fine. And we and the disease is so powerful. The disease of alcoholism is so powerful. It makes us think that we we don't have a problem or we have everything under control or there's not an issue. I went and had six beers and came home. Nothing happened, right? Or I might have six beers and end up in Texas. You know, I just don't know what's going to happen. I can't predict with certainty. Every time what's going to happen when I put beverage alcohol in my system. Now, guess what? I can predict with certainty what's going to happen every time I eat a carrot. Nothing, right? I can predict with certainty what's going to happen when I drink Diet Coke. So it's not that far out of the realm of expectation that I should be able to predict what's going to happen when I put something in my system. When I take Advil or Tylenol, I can predict my headache's going to go away, you know? Um, anyway, the point is, is when I compare it to normal stuff, just normal, you know, everyday stuff, then, yeah, I should be able to predict. So when I look at my drinking, I have to be careful because my mind will, it wants to play tricks and wants to say, but, but it didn't happen this way or it didn't do it that time or this time or that, right? But um, we'll just have to remember those two things that when I start to drink, 
I, I have little to no control over how much I'm going to drink. And then I can't seem to stop drinking or I can't help from starting once I, once I did stop. And um, if you're like me, you might have um, thoughts like this where, where we will quit. And then I'd say, you know what? I think I completely overreacted. <laughs> you know, I don't need to, I don't need to stop drinking. And um, so that's one thing that happened to me. And the other one was, I've just changed my mind. I've just changed my mind. I'm not going to start now. I'm going to try maybe next week or next month or after my birthday or blah, 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 blah. And it never occurred to me that any of those things had anything to do with powerless. To me, I just changed my mind or I've overreacted. Um, those are my two go-to. So anyway, um, by the time I'm um, 14 years old, I could have used this program. Seriously. That's how... There's a little part in the big book that says that women can be far beyond recall within just a few years. And that was my experience. It, it didn't take take long. Now, I, I'm someone who drank for the effects produced by alcohol every time. I'm confident that had a lot to do with my age. I was young. I was a teenager. You know, like I, when I would hear women t get behind the podium, they would talk about how they'd come home from, from work and Put, take their hair down and kick their heels off and get a glass of wine and sit down. I'm like, holy Jesus, that's the most, that's the most beautiful image <laughs> I could ever come up with, right? It's just not my experience, right? I'm like, give me the Boone's Farm, the Mad Dog 2020, the five o'clock vodka. It was $5 and 10 cents and a fifth. I mean, I don't have that wonderful um, drinking experience that I felt like that I got cheated of actually a lot of good long hard years of drinking but um that just wasn't my experience it was to get completely loaded intoxicated every single time I drank and it never even occurred to me never even thought why would you have one or two or three <clears throat> never even crossed my mind and I don't even remember debating about it it just wasn't a thing you just drink for complete oblivion and that's it so I ended up getting in trouble right away. I am going to, um, I am going to fast forward. Okay. So just looking at this little clock up here. So this is the time I have left. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, I just, I want to fast forward to say that um, you could clearly see the progression of my illness, progression of the disease of, of alcoholism. Um, I don't talk about it, um, but when I'm speaking, but just a, you know, little 20 second commercial here. I did do um, every mind altering substance there is under the sun, except for maybe one or two that come out, since, but, um, or I didn't get my hands on whatever, but I don't um, talk about uh, all my addictions because this is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've been taught um, that in AA, we talk about alcohol. If I want to talk about drugs, I'm going to go to NA. If I want to talk about cocaine, I'm going to go to CA. If I want to talk about whatever, you know, and um, and I used to think that was so petty until one time I'm, I'm talking about like shooting heroin or something and my sponsor comes up to me and she says, you know what? There was a lady here today and um, she's never done drugs a day in her life. And she said, there's a good chance because of you, she's, gonna, she's never going to get this solution. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, what a flipping responsibility she put that on me, you know? She's like, we don't talk about, this isn't Heroin's Anonymous, you know? So 
I really had to think that, that what I say, I mean, I have to be careful with what I say. And she said, sometimes we truly are the only copy of the big book somebody sees. It's a real thing. We have to be very careful of it. Did, did they give you the message talking about heroin? And I thought, well, no, they didn't. So that that's kind of a funny, tricky subject there. I encourage if you got any kind of feelings about it, maybe talk to your sponsor or somebody after meeting about it. But um, it's been very important to me to um, to follow the traditions that uh, were so eloquently read before the meeting here today. So um, the so our our primary purpose, our ability to have identification. Um, those those things are are very 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 important. So um, anyway, I um, I was a wreck um, very very early. I started getting in trouble. You know, I'm I'm starting to be in front of the judge. I'm starting to, and I'm like 15. You know, <laughs> and I'm I'm already going. You know, getting arrested and um, oh, and how horrible! What a horrible feeling. You know, and um, handcuffed and in the car and the police car is terrible. And, um, I'm having little bitty things, you know, I never gotten in, in serious, serious trouble, but public intoxication, open container, trespassing, um, lost my license twice, I think, um, things like that, right. Things that you still go in front of the judge for, right. <clears throat> and it was a really bad feeling. I um I participated in a lots and lots of illegal activities. I was um I was a complete embarrassment to my family. Um no one was like was like me uh in, in um my immediate family. I did have an alcoholic grandfather who uh was actually a, a rocket scientist, no less, and died on Skid Row literally um homeless wearing diapers so we do have um alcoholism in the family um he ended up he abused my mom and her sister and brother every possible way you could imagine they had a horrible horrible um upbringing despite the outside of Y'all heard of a Lear Jet. My grandfather used to drink with Mr. Lear all the time. Um, it looked like everything's okay, but it was sexual abuse, physical abuse, every kind of abuse you can think of behind closed doors. So um, although my mother wasn't an alcoholic, she brings all this dysfunction that's why you could see when I said there was no emotion in my family, when I told y'all that we don't, we don't touch each other. It, you don't touch your children. That That's the message she got. Y'all understand what I mean? You know, so um, that's why I never was shown any affection at all. So um, I'm lucky she's the same as she is really. Um, but that took years of therapy, folks. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, I just want to I just want to move on. I got a long, a big story, so I'm just going to move on. I got involved with service. I got sober. I ended I ended up in an institution in Louisiana for almost a year. Um, 
I got, I left there, went to a meeting. I, I got sober. I had um, pretty much a, a, a fairy tale kind of recovery life. And I ended up, well, I had gotten kicked out of school before my car was impounded and my car went to jail. I did not go that, that time, but my car did. And um, I got kicked out of school. And I mean, I was just like a pillion of a child. Okay. And so I ended up getting um, my GED when I got sober and I went to a community college and then I went to University of North Carolina um, in Charlotte. I mean, I had like so many great things and, and I ended up falling uphill with my careers, my jobs, just falling uphill. And uh, I had a really great supporter in my life and she'd say, Stacy, apply for everything you're not qualified for. <laughs> Somebody's going to hire you, you know, and they will, they will. And I just fell uphill and um, I took with me the, the, the basic principles that I learned in AA about being open-minded and honest and willing and things like that. And, and you know what? I can't tell you how many jobs, like I've been in engineering for like 10, 15 years and I'm not an engineer, you know? So it's like, the, if you take the attitude that I'm teachable and I'll work 200% for you, if you just give me the, 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 the chance, the shot, I mean, that goes a long way. It goes a long way for, for people. So anyway, um, um, the first when I got out of that institution, the first Wednesday, my sponsor said, uh, get, get in the car. Actually, I was homeless again when I got out of the institution, right? I didn't have a place to go. I'm a thousand miles away from home. According to my parents, I was never allowed back in North Carolina. And um, I was homeless. This lady took me in from AA and put me on the sofa. And then within a week, I'm all of a sudden her little girl, Nicole, um, within like a week, I'm big sister to the to Nicole and it was just it was just wonderful um the selflessness and she had clearly read that chapter working with others and what to do and what not to do and what was too much and but the first Wednesday she said get in the car we're going to a meeting and she took me to the jail and I'm like what really are you sure and uh many of us have those thoughts like they're gonna keep me I know they're gonna keep me or there's something out there that I'm not aware of or something like that and um but they did it and I I just really really fell in love with that type of of service AA service um correction service and I don't um really know for sure but I have a, a good feeling that um especially then I had so much guilt and shame and self-hate that um, I just felt right at home there. You know, I didn't feel judged. I, I, I felt equal and I'm never equal. I'm always better than or less than, right? And usually less than, but I want you to think better than. <laughs> it's always a delusion, whatever it is. So I was rare, rarely equal. So I felt equal there and I've continued to take meetings into jails and, pr and prisons my whole life. So it's my passion. I absolutely love it. But I need to fast forward here because I want to tell y'all um, what happened. My life got really, really big, really big. Lots of great things happened. I slowly, slowly, now y'all have heard this story a million times. I slowly, slowly start backing off of my responsibilities, um, my commitment to what was 
freely given to me in AA. And it took me probably four years, slowly, 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 so slowly, you couldn't even hardly notice it. And I started to get filled up with a lot of resentment and fear. And oh my gosh, I had an ego the size of West Texas. It was just horrible. And um, I had a really bad back, which I ended up having back surgery. It was a legit, legit thing. I've got terrible sleep problems. And my mind told me um, it was, you know, it was okay to pick up. And I was over 20 years sober, 20 years. And I commenced to blow my life up in short order, in short order. Um, it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And the one of the biggest differences this time than the previous time was that I absolutely could not stop. I could not put it down. And I had for the next couple of years, I was out. Can y'all imagine having 20 years of recovery and you just can't get it together? Just the fact that I lost 20 years, my ego almost made me kill myself just for that reason alone, you know, because um, that was like my identity. My whole identity was around being Miss AA, you know, and I, I just couldn't believe I did it. I just couldn't believe it. And it was, and I felt many, many days like it was worth taking my life over. So I, um, I finally, when, um, I finally started to get to the point, I shouldn't say finally, it was quick. It was quick. Within three weeks, I'm, I'm back hustling, selling illegal stuff. Three weeks. I can't keep a job that I, I got three degrees for. I can't keep a job anymore. Um, I'm running up and down <laughs> the country. Oh my gosh, it was just a quite a show. Um, the, the big, I'll tell you, I, I got married in this relapse, in this relapse. And, um, one of, I'll tell you one of the things that I've had that really had a lot of, uh, guilt and shame and, um, regret over is I used to tell, um, my husband, I used to tell him all the time that I was going to kill myself. And his dad killed himself. I mean, can you imagine like the how terrible is that? He already he's already effed up. Am I allowed to say that, Lisa? Effed up on a recorded recording. He's already effed up from from his dad killing himself, right? To a certain degree. Like who who wouldn't have issues with that? And then his wife's gonna kill himself. You know, it's like it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Um I ended up uh well, okay, there was this guy named Wallace, Wallace Bryant, and Wallace was um, someone that I loved, loved very much. He was sentenced to, to um, a life sentence plus 40 years, so he was never getting out. Um, he did eventually, almost a couple decades uh, later, he got out, but he tells this story, which obviously is how I met him, right? But he... Um, he tells a story and he was, he was in prison in central prison in North Carolina and the gates uh, um, were opening that morning and he had decided it's a uh, central prison. It's, it's like an old 
looks like TB kind of prison. And he's going to dive down four flights um, and, and kill himself. This is what he decided to do. And instead of uh, doing that, he did that that last alcoholic prayer where he just got on his knees and, and, and cried and begged God and said, God, if you'll please just get me back to AA. And that's, and that's what, that's what I did. And, um, and I was shown mercy, mercy again, and given the opportunity of recovery and life again. And, um, and I'm loaded and I'm remembering Wallace's story. I'm like, well, if it could happen for him, you know, maybe, maybe God will do it for me. And, um, and y'all know if you're, if you're new, just stay, stay a little bit longer. You'll see people just will disappear. They'll just disappear and you'll never see them again. So when I tell you that it is such an honor and a blessing and a gift to have this recovery that we have right here, right now. You have no idea, you know, it is so, so much easier to stay sober than get sober. I promise you, if you have it right now, you better hold on to it. Like, like there's nothing, nothing can be more important than, than our recovery. It just can't, it can't because we'll lose it. As a matter of fact, we're almost guaranteed to lose whatever we put in front of it. Almost, you know, usually that happens. So, um, like we put a job in front of it. We put a relationship in front of it. We're almost guaranteed to lose that job in that relationship because we, we blow up our life. Um, Anyway, my time is really getting short here. So I just want to say um, I, I was able to, a miracle. I didn't go to treatment or detox or jail or anything. I was able just to suck it up and wet for four days and get back. And um, one of the most terrible things that I did was, you know, when I got sober the first time, like every woman I ever worked with, we used to have long distance problems, okay? Do y'all remember, like, we used to get on the phone and call everybody we knew long distance. We'd have, like, a $700 phone bill. That's not a thing anymore, but we used to do this, right? And I'm like, I don't even know anybody in Kentucky. <laughs> like, who did I talk to? You know, and, but anyway, this was a thing. This was a real thing. And um, so this time, talking about progression of the disease, I didn't do that. But guess what I did, y'all? I sent, like, half people I know my naked pictures. Can y'all believe I did that? In AA. I sent everybody in AA my naked pictures. And the next morning, I'm like, no. I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, no, I did it. No, I didn't. I cannot believe. And there's this one guy, Rob. I'll never forget Rob. And then and the next text message was like, whoop, wrong Rob. Sorry. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was devastated, mortified. I couldn't even believe. Like, I hadn't even talked to these people. I told you it took like four years for me to slowly back away from AA, two years of a relapse. So some of these people I had talked to in years and men, women, it didn't matter. I'm sending all of them. Um, so when I got sober, I'm like, well, I can't go to AA. There's no way. I'm telling you now, I cannot go to where I have sent all my naked pictures to. That is not happening. So I went to NA for, 
for months, even though I knew that wasn't my home for me. I mean, I qualify, I qualify for almost any program there is, but um, I, that ego, that alcoholic ego, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. So I ended up getting a, um, like a year sober, I ended up getting a job offer in uh, Louisiana. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Because I can't go to AA here, you know. So I moved to Louisiana and I was able to join my fellowship again. Um, I was just mortified that I had I had done. I'm like my old boss. I sent him a naked picture. Um, I mean, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, so anyway, um, so I moved to Louisiana. The first thing I did was find my little jail right there. I did that for probably a year. I had so much healing to do, y'all, from that relapse. I mean, I was, I came back so broken, broken, broken. And uh, with a lot of knowledge and uh, just like my sponsor would say, I see a lot of information and very little transformation, you know, and um, it's hard to have a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge about something, but, but yet I'm not transformed. I'm still acting as the same person that I was, you know, I'm still that same old character, that same injured character that I came in with. And, um, and that's, uh, that was my experience for a long time. And, but I didn't know, I didn't know it. So this is, this is hindsight. I could tell you that there was, um, there's a big difference that I've learned uh, this time in compliance and surrender. So compliance, you know, that I'm just going to, I'm going to do it because you told me I have to do it. I'm going to do it, you know, and then surrender. So, so basically compliance happens at the, at the, the uh, conscious level and, and surrender is at the subconscious level. Okay. And I had to find a surrender, a real, real, real surrender. And um, so I started doing the service work because I've always believed in lots and lots and lots of service. And I, um, I found that little jail that wasn't long, maybe a year. Um, then I'm finally back in the district meetings and, you know, the whole nine yards with the general service. and. Um, before I know it, I'm the state corrections chair for the state of Louisiana. And I, um, I just, there's a prison in Louisiana called Angola. You could Google it. It's like, it's historic and it's, it's, it's the biggest prison in all of North America. There's almost 6,000 people there. And I found out that there wasn't any AA and I couldn't believe it that there wasn't any AA. And like, there was a couple periods where it was for short, short periods, but almost 20 years, there was no consistent AA. And, and actually it was one of the first meetings in the whole state of Louisiana was at Angola, which is actually the case in many states because these businessmen that would travel, normally they were all men um, when AA first started they would go to the prisons because they knew there was alcoholics there. <laughs> so they would try to, you know, when they would travel and that's what they did. That's how it was shot in North Carolina. The first meeting was in, was at a place called Camp Green. It was a, a prison right outside of Charlotte. And um, so anyway, um, I finally, um, after six months of, of calling this warden and sending emails and 
letters and bugging him to death. He finally gave me a, um, a real small population of the trustees, which, which is just the best um, behaved uh, inmate. And then I ended up finally uh, getting the whole population, almost 6,000 6, men. Louisiana is below sea level, so it floods all the time. And I ended up getting all the death row women in uh, Angola also, which is kind of a, well, it is. I don't, I've never heard of any other place where men and women are in the same prison. A jail, yeah, but not prison. Um, anyway, so I got the best of both worlds. I had the women there and, and the men. And uh, interestingly enough, it took me a long time to get to those women. I'm like, well, why in the world are you letting me in here with all these men and I can't get these women? It took forever. But I finally, I finally did. And um, I told that warden, I said, I know this is kind of hard to understand, but I really, really want to get, get on death row. Those people on death row mean just as much to us. And I know that's kind of hard to understand, but it's true. And he finally took about a year. He finally let me get on death row. And are y'all going to believe, to my knowledge, I was able to start the only meeting in the whole world on death row. And uh, they changed it to life row. And that's special because they felt like they came to life. Um, and those guys just changed my life. I can't even, I could talk from here to tomorrow on all this, but I know y'all be glad I Lisa will cut me off. But um, anyway, um, it was so powerful. It was like the best experience. I mean, I don't know how I could ever top it, ever. And um, I got I got short on time. So I got to tell you a couple of things. Um, I haven't really talked much about it, but the solution is through the steps, <laughs> the 12 steps. I want to make sure I get that out there. You know, like that, that is, that is the, the solution. Um, I had to really learn about myself. There's there's three things I'm going to try to say very, very fast. The first one is I, I had to learn that the disease centers in my mind. It centers in my mind. That's what the big book says. Okay. So I had to learn about the disease. It also says, I think it's on page 18 or 19, talks about how we have to be armed with facts about ourselves. So I had to learn about this disease learn how it manifests itself in my life, not your life, my life, you know, and I had to learn that basically I have to try to stay awake. I was like sleepwalking, just sleepwalking my whole, just through and never present, never, never right here, right now in this very moment. I'm always in the, I'm always dreaming of the future or the, the, the fear of the future or the, pain of the past, very rarely in the moment. And I'll tell you what the problem is with that is, is this power that I talked about. God is never, ever in the future or the past. He's only right here, right now. So if I can't be here right now, this minute um, with y'all, then I don't have a chance to, to recover. Thank you. Got five minutes. Okay. So um, I don't get a chance to recover if I'm not able to um, learn to be present in this moment. I learned a lot of that through, through meditation. I used to tell people all the time that I, uh, that I meditated and I lied. I rarely ever meditated. And my sponsor would say, Stacy, there's a whole step for, for meditation. So step 11, why do you get to miss it? Why do you get to skip that step? 
You know, it, it doesn't work that way. You know, if you want what this program has, has to offer, you got to do it, you know? And I don't know why I just felt like I could just, why would I just lie to people about my prayer meditation life and how great it was when it sucked? And um, I mean, and I'm the one that's suffering from it, you know, but as long as my instinct of prestige, which is that I care what you think about me, you know, as long as that was satisfied, you know, and, and, I, and I'm just able to really continue to see how I just live my life on delusion and illusion, things that aren't even real. Um, and, and these instincts, I'm, I'm constantly in collision um, with things. So I learn all this stuff about myself. And, I, and the number one best thing I learned is when I'm running the show and when I've left God, you know, when I've left God. That's what this whole thing is about. It, it says in the book, this whole program is about you and me finding God, period. That's it. That's it. These steps really enable us. We work these steps. And what they do is they really enable us to learn how to pray and meditate and to get close to this power. That's the whole point. That is the whole, the whole point. And I'll tell you something just um, really, really wonderful is that there's moments in my life, this is the truth, right? Right hand of God. There's moments in my life when I know for sure, positively, that me and my life are perfect, that they're exactly how it's supposed to be, that I, I know for sure I'm taken care of. I have no problems, no problems that I'm at one with you and I'm at one with God and everything is just wonderful. Just can't, it's, it's like, can't even hardly describe it. Those moments for me are in meditation only. <laughs> so that's the, that's where I'm, the goal is that I can have those moments when I'm just out here walking around, right? Everything is fine. Um, but I'm a baby in this spiritual life, right? So I'm trying to grow and get better right now. They are in meditation and prayer. That's when they happen. For me to change my character, the the, the actual um, transformation required happens only through prayer and meditation. Like all this other stuff helps, but that is a requirement. And I said, and I wouldn't do it and stayed away. I want to do anything but pray. I I want to pick up every Jack and Jill on the side of the road. There is take them to a thousand meetings, do all this stuff before I want to pray and meditate. And that's just not the, what the program teaches. So um, the, the last thing, where's my little clock here? Okay. Two, two little last things that I wanted to share is that my daughter, um, Amber, and I also am a Mimi now too. But my daughter, um, she wanted to find out what what is she? You know, she's got this interesting look. So we did the Ancestry.com and 23andMe, and I, I found my mother. And um, it was just unreal of an experience. And I do have a brother, and I have do have a sister, and I have all these aunts and uncles and all this crazy family. And um I was on my way to visit her for the first time ever. And it had been 60 days since we had met 
on the phone and text message. And I was on my way to visit her 15 minutes before I got there and she died. And um, I never got to meet her or not alive. The first time I ever saw my mom, she was dead. And um, that was so hard. But you know what happened for me is there's a thing called um, in, the, in the ninth step. There's a thing called these promises. And it says that we'll be able to match calamity with serenity, that, that God's going to do this for us, that the most crazy, terrible thing can happen to us, and we'll be okay. We will walk through that like a soldier, and we will we'll make it, and we'll be fine, and we won't drink, and we won't even think about drinking, not even an option. And talking about that, Drinking is not even, oh, oh, my clock is gone. So that means that, that I'm, not, I'm up. So, okay, 30 seconds. So that's what's happened. I've been able to, to make um, peace be the number one most important thing in my life. If something gets in, in the way of my peace, it's got to go. It's got to go. There's nothing more important because it is painful to live a life that doesn't have a power in my life. It's painful. I want to drink. I want to kill myself. I want to kill you. You know, I don't want to live like that. I, I want to live. I want to live how I just how I described her earlier with with a power. Um, I've I've got so much more I'd love to tell you, but my time's up. So maybe Lisa, will let me come back another time. <laughs> okay. God bless you all. Thank you for being here this morning, and I love y'all. We love you too, Stacey C. From Primetime Toronto, thanks for joining us at a Solution Seekers Beginners meeting. We hope that you continue to listen to our regular podcast with Julie and myself on Two Sober Chicks. I'm Lisa. Have a great 24.